Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. WGR. Here's the American dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect. No honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Make no mistake where you are. Okay, good morning. Pleasure being back in the saddle with you this beautiful Saturday morning. A little wind today for you Western New York golfers. Enjoy 20 to 30 mile per hour wind gusts. That makes for a fun round of golf. I um, I will be out there later suffering through it myself. So, um, Obviously, we've got a, uh, a full lineup as, as is tradition uh, here on Sports Talk Saturday. We're going to have in the first hour here, Brian Colziel is going to join us in about 15 minutes or so. Brian and I will talk a little bit about the Memorial Tournament, which is uh, currently underway. Round three coverage begins a little bit, uh, in a little while. Round two was uh, a bit of a rain delay yesterday, so uh, continued. The the some of the players had to finish their round twos out this morning. Uh, John Rom did so this morning and actually found himself in the lead after uh, having a hole in one this uh, this morning. So we'll uh, we'll talk to Brian Cozy a little bit about the Memorial Tournament. Uh, as mentioned, uh, John Rahm in the lead. Colin Morikawa carried the lead uh, into the rain delay. And then, uh, as mentioned, John Rahm with the ace uh, to put himself in a two-stroke lead at the Memorial at Murfield. So we'll talk to Brian Cozy again, and that's about 15 minutes. Mike K. Uh, we are going to talk to Mike, and he is a reporter for NJ.com. Uh, Mike it covers the Eagles, and uh, we're the the theme of today's show isn't exactly all Zach Ertz, but a little bit it is. Um, we are going to sort of discuss 
What went wrong, really, sort of for the last year, year and a half in Philadelphia with Zach Ertz? Uh, Mike should give us a good opportunity to, to learn a little bit more about you know what the player has been over the last year, year and a half. Obviously, a lot of injuries um, and uh, an offense and a quarterback and, and a play caller and, and head coach that simply did not end up meshing out. And, and obviously, both Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson are gone. Uh, they are no longer in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz down in Indianapolis uh, and is expected to be the starting quarterback there in Indy and Peterson taking the year off away from football. So uh, we're going to talk to Mike a little bit about, you know, sort of what went wrong for Zach Ertz the last year and a half, uh, the kind of ugly exit that we've sort of been waiting for to happen um, out of Philadelphia. So we'll get we'll get uh, some good words there from Mike. And then at noon, uh, we've got Matt Perino of New York Upstate, as always, uh, my, my fairly regular correspondent, as is Greg Thompson, who joins us at 1230 from Cover One. Uh, with those gentlemen, we'll talk a little bit with Perino uh, about his article this week about Tyrell Adams, the Bills' newest linebacker. Um, he has made some, you know, I'm, I'm going to make waves during OTAs, but he's a guy that is being talked up by Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, and uh, Matt did a little piece about him this week, so we'll talk to him about that. We'll also talk to Perino about this Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather fight, which I will kind of start the show talking about as well as it was on ESPN Radio on my way in, and I felt compelled to talk about it, even though I feel slightly bad about giving Logan Paul any airtime, but <clears throat> it is what it is. And then at 1 o'clock, Stephen Ruiz of, um, I believe it's Fanside, let me, let me, let me double-check that. Stephen uh, did a great, great article. Um, it's for the win. I apologize. He's the lead writer for, <clears throat> for the win. Um, and Stephen did a great article this week talking a little bit about, um, I guess, the fit in Buffalo for Zach Ertz. And basically he came he came to a place where he just thought that Zach Ertz just does not really fit in what the Bills are trying to do considering the personnel they already have here. Um, but yeah, so we, we've got a full lineup. Again, lots of Zach Ertz, uh, lots of Bills, and we'll do that throughout the afternoon as well. Obviously the Sabres, they end up winning the draft lottery this week. Not a lot to talk about there as, you know, it seems like it's... Um, Sort of a sore subject. I'm not really going to dive too deep into that. So let's uh, let's first start by talking a little bit uh, today about this Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather fight because I think yeah, as I was listening to ESPN Radio, I, I don't know who was filling in for Darian Mel this morning, uh, but I thought there was some good points that were made. But more importantly, just how far the sport of boxing has come um and really it's come to a head in, in the better part of the last year and a half I was so we Corey and I were kind of talking off air before we got into this and 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 even go back as far as like a, a year or so ago when we're watching Tyson Fury you know win the heavyweight championship um and we're talking about the, the Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury jo uh, Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury and like those were entertaining bouts those were classic heavyweight bouts that were entertaining, you'd be willing to pay the pay-per-view price, and you felt like you walked away with a good product. And this, by the, I, I'm not taking a shot at WWE wrestling here, by the way, because I, I understand there's a lot of people that like it. People know what it is, though. It, it doesn't disguise or cloak itself as something else. It just, the product is, and has been, what the product has been for a long time, which is, it's staged wrestling. And it's okay, like, People like it because of what it is. It's not trying to be something else. And now, the sport of boxing is at a really uh, fundamental crossroads with what happens now because it's turned into a joke. Um, this Logan Paul fight, 
is a, is a sort of scar on the sport in itself. And I said this to, to Corey. I said, like, imagine what a guy like Rocky Marciano would think of where the sport is right now with we are a Floyd Mayweather, you know, flop or a, a Floyd Mayweather pretend knockout away from just, like, scratch the sport out. It's done. Like, a week ago or whenever it was, a couple of days ago, when the rules came out that this fight would not anoint a winner, I thought to myself, what the hell is the point? You're not going to... There's not a winner to be named from this fight? Like, what do you mean? That's the whole point of a fight. It really seems like boxing is where you go to do a stunt. It's not where you go yeah. to do a sport. Like, uh, where um, Conor McGregor went into boxing and it felt like a stunt. It didn't feel like I'm go doing this because I'm transitioning to boxing and I want to see if I can box. It was more like, hey, let's see if we can make some money off of this, which is what you, how you box now. It's like, hey, can we make some money off this? Which is like, you think back to like Lennox Lewis, like who you mentioned, you think back to the Klitschko's, like, yes, there was always money involved, but it also felt like it was a sport still, and it no longer feels that way at all. I'm sure the sport still exists. You can still find it in small gyms, Golden Gloves, Olympics, like the sport still exists, but like... This is supposed to be the top tier of the sport, and it's a clown show. It does not feel at all like... And, I mean, still, none of the people involved in this are even remotely likable, really. Like, they're just... The reason you, uh, the reason you watch the Pauls is not because you like them. No, that's And right. I don't think anybody would make that case. Is that That's why you watch well, them. Nor are they actually entertaining in this arena. Like, their YouTube stuff, I don't... It's not for me. Um, I don't find them entertaining. But what people are drawn to is the they're polarizing. They are... There's a certain crowd of people that really like these these two. Um, I'm, I, don't, I don't fall in line with that. Um, what they are doing to the sport of boxing, I don't find entertaining. People I found used it, to watch bum fights on YouTube, right, too. We like used to watch, right, Kimbo Slice... In a back alley, bare knuckle box. And like, right, like that was whatever for a little while. Um, I find it, I don't know, I, I'm trying not to be dramatic about it, but I find it just almost disrespectful, the thing, the, the where they are willingly taking the sport. Like they are heading this whole thing to basically ruin the sport of boxing. And it's fun to them. Like it's, that's a fun thing to them. And if you're Floyd Mayweather... Why the hell are you... Why I get the... You don't need money, dude. Yes, you do. He doesn't need money. No, he needs the money. He, he I don't. Th I don't think he spends wisely. Oh, yeah, I, there, I, I, I agree, mean, but... Like, he made like 30 million in his last fight. It was quick if you're not good It was with, very quick. If it goes quick if you're not good with it. Like, I don't... You cannot, at the same moment, represent the absolute worst instincts of modern social media and then also say... I'm going to do this other thing, and you should give me respect for that. Not how it works. Like, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that deserves respect for that comes out of this kind of social media that these guys thrive and live and bathe in. Like, you, your people watch you, but that ain't respect. <laughs> there is a very big difference between that. Views do not equal respect. So... I don't respect this, and it's cool to not respect it. Does boxing still exist? Sure. But if, like, this is how boxing wants to make itself known now, like, you're toast, man. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you are, I mean, this is, the, this is not great.
at all if this is how you want to remain serviceable. Like, UFC has clearly lapped you already. And it does it because it has frequency. There are fights all the time. They're easy to find. And they're, and it's still just as violent and just as horrific, which is what boxing usually sells itself as. And even though it, it has rampant abuse of the uh, athletes who are participating in it from the guy who owned it, it was producing a product that people could easily engage in all the time. So boxing has not done that. And Mayweather is just as responsible that for anybody with how long it felt like five years it took for him to figure out how to fight Manny Pacquiao. And it's just like, great. While you guys are arguing about this, UFC's having like a fight a month. Like, where are you guys? So they, boxing has done this to itself to end up in a spot where absolutely just no one wants to pay attention to it. And to where the only time you hear about it is when it's a gimmick. So you're a gimmick now. Like, sorry, that's how I engage with you, as a gimmick. I'm sure there are people who, like, go to the gym, train like they're supposed to, go up through the leagues, go up through the, the associations. That sport still exists, but it ain't on my TV. So I ain't know, I don't know about it, I don't see it. If this is what the sport wants to present to me, then you're a gimmick. Sorry, that's, right. that's the way it goes. No, and it's just, it's a shame because the sport itself was at one time, hey, like, so is baseball. There was a time in this country where boxing had center stage. The most important athlete maybe ever, ever. in American history was is Muhammad Ali. And he's famous for boxing. And that era of boxing. Yes. I mean, I know more boxers from the era 30 years before I was born than I do right now. Yeah. And I think that's a rare thing in any sport. That... 30 years ago, a millennial can name you more boxers from that era of the sport than you can in current present day. And it, it, what it speaks to is the, the, lack, the lack of, I don't know, seriousness. And, and listen, not every sport needs to be serious to, to be taken seriously. Again, WWE. It's not a super serious thing, but it is taken as gospel. It is a super serious and, and, and very seriously followed sport. The athleticism that's involved, though, in the WWE, like, and, you know, there are a ton of people watch it. And, like, they watch to see, like, I'm told all the time by people who, like, always watch the WWE and wrestling, like, they prefer to watch the women wrestlers way more and they prefer, like, the smaller dudes because it's more athletic and it's more fun to watch. It's more technically skilled. The heavyweight fights are sometimes some of the worst fights to watch because it's these two lumbering behemoths trying to put holds on each other and it's just not as fun so even when you watch the wwe people are watching for the athleticism of it and the entertainment yes. of it and this is when you get into the heavyweight fights in boxing if you're watching someone who is basically avoiding contact and trying to draw out the fight and just avoid anything it is a huge waste of time as a viewer and that is yes. how floyd mayweather fights He's a waste of money. There's no doubt about it. And Floyd Mayweather is probably the first, you know, true champion of boxing that did so in a way that really went against traditional ways of how to win in the sport. He went from, the sport went from, can you knock a guy out to, can you last 12 rounds with Floyd Mayweather and land one punch? Place the trap. Yeah. Come at me all round or all all fight until you are too tired from throwing too many punches, and that's when I will make my move on you in the twelfth round when you know you are tired from throwing five hundred punches without landing. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Just I don't know. We'll talk to more. We'll talk more about this 
at uh, at noon with Matt Perino. Obviously, he's he's going to have some takes on the Pauls. I know I know what he sort of thought about a lot of these former UFC fighters. Obviously, the Jake Paul fight, which will be featuring a former heavyweight UFC champion who is you know not really known again for his hand to hand combat, moving to a sport where he'll be forced to do hand to hand combat. So these are <clears throat> again. I am not a boxing enthusiast, an expert. Um, I am just slightly saddened by the state of the sport and where it's going. Um, And unfortunately, the sport hitching its wagons, the sports reporters that report on this for a living, um, everyone seems to be totally cool with this and and enjoy it and find it entertaining, which is, this again, the, the sort of sad part about it all. Let's go to the Western Hotline. Let's switch gears and talk a little golf now with my man Brian Koziel, who is the host of Tee to Green, which... Uh, they did it Bobolinks this morning, and uh, Brian, I will tell you, as a pretty big Bobolinks fan, I usually get out once or twice a year there. Um, I, for a par three course, Western New York is pretty uh, like that. That's a pretty sweet setup over there at Bobolinks. Not a lot of other cities like the size of Buffalo can get kind of a great family area and a, and a family atmosphere, but also like it's a nice little it's a nice little track. I agree. Good morning, Nate. I uh, we had fun being there this morning. Every time we go, Kevin and I, this, Kevin Sylvester and I, this morning on air, we're just like, you know what? This is like one of those just cool, unique things about Western New York that make it special to be able to go over there. Not only to play a nice par three course, but of course the kind of the, the lure of the place is that you can go play at night. There's nowhere else that you can play outside under the lights at night, and uh, I'm sure many listening maybe have done that at some point, but. Um, I mean, what a, just a cool spot if you're learning the game, if you're playing for the first time, if you want to take your kid, uh, or Nate, as I know you have done, you go with a group of buddies at night, oh, yeah. boy, it, it can turn into some real fun real fast. So, yeah, it was really fun being there this morning for Tita Green. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Memorial Tournament happening uh, today. Round three coverage getting underway. Obviously, the rain delay um, on Friday forced some of the guys this morning to get out. Colin Morikawa uh, goes into the rain delay with the lead, Brian. And then John Rahm just goes on a run this morning to finish off his round two aces, uh, gets himself into a two-stroke lead. Um, the top of this leaderboard is filled with a lot of young, um, up-and-coming players. Um, uh, uh, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shifley. Uh, Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, but John Rahm is sort of maybe the 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 elite tier of this sort of younger group. Um, thoughts on his chances if he's going to play like he did at sort sort of the end of round two here? He seems maybe like the runaway favorite here. I like his chances. Uh, I I mean, yeah, you mentioned a hole in one on the 16th hole coming in, then he follows it up with a birdie, so he goes in now with a two shot lead on another young guy, Patrick Cantley. But yeah, Rahm. If you probably said to me, like, tell me the elite golfers or, or the, quote, current best players that haven't won a major, I think I'm starting with John Rahm. And the reason that I think you have to like his chances is, well, he's the defending champion. He won there last year, so he obviously knows how to win in the course. Now, they've done some renovations since, so it's not totally exactly the same. But, I mean, he obviously feels comfortable playing here. You mentioned Morikawa. Last year, when COVID stopped all sports and then golf was Kind of, I think, you know, I guess you'd say the first kind of major sport to come back. Uh, they actually played two events here back-to-back at Muirfield Village at Jack Nicholas's course where he hosts. And Morikawa won the first week. And then Rahm, the traditional memorial event, the second week of the two, won that last year. So he's officially the defending champion. But no surprise to see Morikawa, 
who is a PGA champion, a major champion, and then Rom. But uh, Rom's swing, to me, it's so compact. It's a swing that if you're a guy that maybe thinks like, oh, I'm a little older, or yeah. I can't bring the club all the way back. He gives you a little bit of hope. He <laughs> gives you hope. Like, look, John Rom's swing's very compact. He, it, comparably to others that hit it a mile on tour, he barely brings the club back. And he doesn't even have that huge sweeping follow-through, like hold the pose, like all the way back. It's, it's very compact. It's, it's a simple swing, but it's super effective. And uh, he obviously uh, is playing so well this weekend. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, I think he's definitely the favorite here going into the weekend with a two-shot lead. So, Brian, um, I don't know if you saw, I think it was uh, Golf Digest, uh, and it was on Instagram. They sort of went through each hole um, with Jack Nicklaus and, and talked a little bit about the changes that this course has made since the last time this tournament was played. And, you know, I, I think that all, all in all, the course is definitely playing slightly more difficult. But is there any any changes to the course that maybe are notable to you? I know they changed a lot of the sizing of the greens, some of where the tee boxes um, are starting, so maybe you get a clearer shot um, at the green. But then they, I know on a couple of holes, they sort of made the green skinnier and longer, um, so they give you more space to miss. But good luck if you've got you know a thirty or forty foot putt um, trying to save par. So they, some of the changes on this course have certainly made it. I think maybe even a step up from what it's been playing in years past. Yeah, and, and I think what, what you'll see with these changes, especially around the green, is the pros showing you why they're the best in the world because there's more opportunity for creativity. I think for a long time, and you know, whether you want to credit or, or say shame on the USGA for doing this, the U.S. Open setup was a, a lot of the like, okay, if you miss it by one inch, the ball's going to roll all the way back down, or... If you're one foot long, you're going to end up in 10 feet of rough. That's all around the green. Now you're seeing a lot of different kind of areas around greens, and I think you're also seeing it a trend with local courses, too, here in western New York, where it's not just, okay, here's a green, and we're going to surround it with a whole bunch of heavy rough. You're seeing different styling in terms of the contour of the green, some maybe some, some mown areas either to the sides or in the front where you can maybe, hey, I could putt from here. I can do a bump and run from here. I could like even hit like a hybrid from here, you know, kind of that little bump putt sort of shot. And the fact that the greens, as you said, are a different challenge now with the way that they've redone some of them. Uh, I think it, it allows these guys to be a little bit more creative. The tee box thing you mentioned, more risk reward. I think for those that have played a local course, uh, a course like Glen Oak, they've cleared out some trees. Why would they do that? Mm. Well, there's some aesthetic reasons to do that um, for your eyes. But the whole point of that course design was for you to see the hazard and then make a decision yeah. and then obviously try to make the shot. So, you know, if you're seeing that trend at a course around western New York, yes, taking down trees sometimes helps the health of the grass or helps the green if it's close or else gets more wind or more sun, which allows everything to maybe dry out quicker, things like that. So, but for you to see the hazard, for you to be able to make that decision, uh, the that risk-reward sort of piece into it, I think, makes golf a little bit more fun that way for everybody playing it. So I, I think that's probably what also Jack Nicholas and his team was figuring out with, how can we make this course that's already amazing even better and kind of bring back some more creative ways of having guys hit golf shots? So listen, Brian, I would be the dumbest dude in America not to at least ask you about this whole Brooks and Bryson... I don't... 
calling it a feud, I think, is is maybe a disservice to what it actually is. It feels, I don't know, it feels awesome for the game of golf. Um, I mean, people that are drawn to the sport for the game itself, you know, there are traditionalists that'll say, like, this isn't really anything to me. This isn't really winning me over. This isn't entertainment. But there are a lot of young people that this sport, maybe in years past, hasn't really reached that handout to, right? And and, and trying to grow this sport um, and, and, and create the popularity around the young players that exist in this game, because there are tons of them. I mean, I mentioned in the top five alone, there are guys that are, you know, that don't have majors that are sort of sitting on the precipice, that are ranked in the top five in the world, that are players that are becoming household names, and then you sort of have this thing that I think is bringing young fans to the sport in a way that maybe this sport hasn't been able to reach them in the past. And I know, you know, maybe it seems a little silly or a little childish, and we're seeing, you know, reports about, you know, fans getting thrown out of the tournament for calling Bryson Brooksy on the course, whatever. I, I find it incredibly entertaining. As a fan of both players, um, I think it's super fun. I, I just it's something unique to the game of golf that we haven't quite seen since like what Sergio and Tiger or yeah. you know Tiger and Phil for a little while were this way. It was kind of a fun, playful back and forth. This feels still fairly playful. Um, I wonder if it gets into something a little bit more serious. But even if it doesn't, and if this is all we get, I feel like it's it's entertaining and it's bringing a new kind of fan to the game. For sure. Yeah, and you know. Trying to create that rivalry for Tiger was what the golf world and us in the media tried to do forever. And, you know, we look back at it and say, it really wasn't fair to anybody to say, oh, this is the guy to go up against Tiger. Like, Phil might have been it. Phil definitely had the charisma to do it and the popularity and, you know, all the, the swagger that would go with it. In fact, probably right now, even though they're both past their peak, and I know Mickelson just won a major, but the Phil Tiger dynamic now is probably the best it's ever been in their career. And it's because it, there is a lot of playfulness and Mickelson talking smack and Tiger shaking his head at Mickelson talking, you know, so I, hitting bombs, all that sort of stuff's fun. But these two guys that you're mentioning here, Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau, they are definitely personalities. Kepka is not afraid to say anything. He's very blunt about what he thinks. Sometimes he says controversial stuff. Sometimes you, he says stuff that a normal PGA Tour player wouldn't normally say, but he just says it. He's all about the majors. If he's injured, he doesn't care. If it's a major, I'm there. He's, you know, he's got arms the size of a truck. And now you've got Shambo, who comes in with this very, very unique approach and comes in with you know, the scientific method, the mad scientist. All my clubs are the same length. I'm going to try and be a, essentially a robot and just mimic my swing over and over and over again. Then DeChambeau says, you know what? I'm going to get jacked up too because I know I can hit it farther than anybody this way, and I'm going to create more club speed head than everybody. So DeChambeau, to me, I still think has been the most interesting story of the year, but now Kepka coming through here, the two of them chirping back and forth online, the Golf Channel interview that was leaked, all that sort of stuff. Here's one thing that I thought Kevin Sylvester brought up this morning, Nate, on our show. Remember, the PGA Tour announced about a month ago that they're now putting in a $40 million, what they call a player impact fund, that rewards essentially your brand, like your popularity. It, to reward players, somebody like Ricky Fowler, let's say, who brings so much money and attention to the tour, yeah. but he's not winning as much as maybe he'd like. Now, Fowler actually is playing better as of late. He is, yeah. He, he, he said he corrected his vision. He's got glasses. He's seeing better. So that's 
that's a little side quick note that Fowler's playing better. So good for him, and everybody wants him to win. But Kepka, his online presence, that video, DeShambo, just his approach to the game, like these guys have that brand. And who knows? Kevin was like, maybe these two guys realize that this is good for their what would be, you know, labeled in the PGA Tour is their player impact fund. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, because there's going to be rewards given out for that, you know. So who knows if that's a little piece of it, if they know, hey, look, I could cash in on this a little more. But uh, these two guys, I mean, just there's every, every week there's something chirped back and forth. The USGA, if you're listening, I know you won't do it, <laughs> but when you make the U.S. Open pairings, please, if you put Kepka and DeShambo together, you might get Tiger-like ratings if you do that, if not more. So you can put them together for the U.S. Open. It's going to be in San Diego, Torrey Pines, prime time. Like, if somehow they ended up in the same group together, oh, that would be amazing. I doubt it'll happen because it seems just too good of a story to be true if they ended up being paired together at the U.S. Open in two weeks. Yeah, I agree. It, it is, it's low-lying fruit for the USGA, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, it, it's a story that tells itself. Like, just, just help the fans out here. I agree. And, and, and throw in a third. Someone like, you know, get Phil's got the exemption. Get Phil in there. You know, like, get, yeah. make it fun uh, and have Phil be the awkward mediator between the two, you know, and ha- have him taking Twitter shots after the oh, round. Like, come on. For sure. Oh, for sure he will. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's the great thing about Phil. Last thing, I, I did want to just touch on the U.S. Women's Open with you, Brian. Um, out at the Olympic Club. Listen, I mean, I had an opportunity on Thursday night to kind of watch the end of round one. Um, the course looks unbelievable. And frankly, I'm surprised to see some of these women go so low. And there's there's also several young American women at the top of this. Uh, Megan Kang and uh, and Lexi Thompson are, in, are both within the top five. But to see a minus six be at the leader right now, I, I find pretty interesting considering how hard and how long the rough is playing. Like some of the shots I've, I saw on Thursday night were, were downright incredible considering how tough that course can really play. Yeah, if you're looking, we, we mentioned primetime golf with the U.S. Open on the West Coast. Now, this is also primetime golf if you're looking for something to watch this weekend. The U.S. Women's Open's great. Uh, the story of day one and maybe the, the weekend is a 17 year old amateur. Uh, Meg Nagane, who was the leader after round one. She shot a 67. She's only two off the lead. She's in a tie for third. But how about this? I saw a tweet from somebody took a screenshot. Magna actually posted her round. She's an amateur. She's 17 years old. She posted her rounds, the first two rounds at Olympic Club here in the U.S. Open, on the Gin app that you and I also <laughs> would do after our rounds. And it was funny. That's they amazing. They a screenshot of like her last 10 rounds. You can actually go look it up right now. You know, like that's amazing. That app, you and I can look up each other's scores. You know, you can go like the last ten rounds. Yep. You know, you, so you can see all the places she's played all over the country oh or whatever. Gosh. And then it says, you know, sixty-seven Olympic Club, seventy Olympic Club. Like her last two rounds, I'm like, hey, she's posting those there too. That's just unreal. like you and I would do. That's pretty cool. But that is super. Seventeen-year-old cool. amateur at the top. That's. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, a lot of young, uh, a lot of young women, uh, kind of on the rise in the in the ladies' tour, and it should make uh, it should make for a couple of fun uh, majors for the remainder of the year. Brian, thanks so much for jumping on with me, man. Appreciate it as always. Enjoy your weekend and uh, good luck out there on the golf course. Are you, are you getting out today? Thirty mile per hour winds. It's going to be an interesting one today. Yes, I'm actually taking to my son a, uh, a tournament in Rochester to play at Wildwood. Ooh, uh, nice. Today. 
So hopefully tomorrow will be my day. But I know you and I played last week. We're going to have to get together yes. soon for another, another fun round. Indeed, my friend. Very soon. Good to talk to you. Okay, Nate. Thanks. Awesome. Brian Kozio there on the West Her Hotline. Take a timeout. On the other side, Mike K of NJ.com. Coming up next, talk a little Zach Ertz here on WGR. All right, everybody, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary, Corey Griswold hanging out with you here for the next two and a half hours or so, bringing you some Bills talk. We just talked a little bit of the Memorial Tournament uh, last half hour with our very own Brian Cozio of Tita Green in the mornings here on WGR. But let's go back to the West Her Hotline because Eagles beat reporter for NJ.com. He's also the co-host of the No Huddle Show. It's Mike K. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K. It's K-A-Y-E. Mike, thank you so much for joining me man it's it's a pleasure and i'm happy to have you on thanks for having me i appreciate you going with the nj.com and not newjersey.com that's how you know it's real that's that's how you know that we're i'm a a new englander you know that's how that's how you know that uh, i'm a part of something bigger than myself here in the states where we i guess we call what is it like connecticut uh massachusetts new york and new jersey is that is that is that what do we call that is that is that is that is that new england I, I think we call that the, like the well-educated. Area. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, that's. I, I yeah, I don't know. I don't handsome, know. well-educated. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into the specifics of it, Mike. But I, I just know that I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> listen, I um I wanted to have you on because obviously the discussions have sort of been ongoing really since the draft about Zach Ertz and sort of the Bills. I guess, prolonged interest in the player. Um, And, you know, I'm going to talk later on in the program with Steven Ruiz, who did a great piece uh, for the win, talking about the actual schematic fit with Zach Ertz in this Bill scheme. And I'm sort of sold that there really isn't that much of a fit. But I wanted to ask you first, before we kind of go into all those specifics, like, why are we here with Ertz when he's got a year left on his contract? Um, This is a team that, you know, probably could use as many pass weapons as as it can get its hands on. What ultimately has gone wrong with Ertz that he has ultimately played his last down in Philly? So, you know, Ace Ventura would go and rewind all the way back to um, last summer, okay? So last summer, Zach Ertz wants to be paid like a top three tight end. He considers himself on par, if not a little bit below Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Uh, The Eagles don't feel that way. Um... And so he's a guy who they view as a top 10 tight end, not a market breaker. Not a, They offered him a raise, but it wasn't substantial enough for him and his, his party. Uh, took it kind of as disrespect, went public about it. Um, you know, he felt disrespected. This is a guy who caught the game-winning touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who led the Doug Peterson regime in, in, re- in receptions and receiving yards for four straight seasons. He's a guy who is a three-time pro bowler. He is one of their very few in-home talents that has really risen through the ranks and become a prolific player. And I think he's a guy that the city's really, really embraced. He's a genuine guy, and he's, he, he's very emotional. He's played with um, a punctured lung. Like, he's a guy who is – He's become Philly through and through, and I think it just wasn't good enough, I guess, with the negotiations. And so, um, you know, he's gotten into disagreements with the front office, and last year 
he suffered an injury, dealt dealt with inconsistent play from Carson Wentz, dealt with inconsistent play from himself, um, dealt with inconsistent performances from the coaching staff. I mean, it was just like a perfect storm of yeah. terribleness. And now it just kind of seems like, it's time for a change of scenery, and yeah. he's set to make $8.5 million, and his play last year did not, you know, go in line with that type of salary. The Eagles are kind of somewhat in a rebuild transition period, and right now, it he wants out. They have Dallas Goddard, who's a former second-round pick. They don't know if he can be a bulk tight end, because we haven't seen it. He's always been the number two guy, so it's kind of exactly what they need to do is kind of open up cap space which they badly need yeah and then you know go from there i just think it's kind of a perfect storm so you know i think the easy second phase of this question to to sort of ask you about is throughout this process and i would i guess i would call it the Eagles inability to find the compensation they're looking for in order to move Ertz. how much i listen i think ultimately the last year and a half, maybe maybe we'll call it two full calendar years, it hasn't really been the best two years for Howie Roseman, considering this is a guy that constructed a, a, a Super Bowl roster not that long ago um, and did so with his starting franchise quarterback going down with a season-ending injury, and they won it with a backup quarterback. So, like... He, if he was at the mountaintop just not too short long ago, he's sort of at the very, you know, he's at the very opposite of that right now. And I'm, and I'm wondering how much responsibility he wears because at least the the things that we've been hearing here is, you know, Brandon Bean, the Bills have sort of said what they're willing to pay. Um, that wasn't good enough at the draft. Why would it be good enough now? Um, unless they're just getting desperate. But it feels like, anyways, Mike, that Howie doesn't have a whole lot of leverage here. Teams know that they don't want to bring Zach Backerts or bring Zach. It's back. So, like, what kind of leverage does he have to actually get the sort of compensation in return he's looking for when everybody knows what, what the situation is? I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, that's the, the problem is everybody knows that Zach's been given the opportunity to seek out a trade. Everyone knows that the Eagles are moving forward in a direction without Zacher. But the Eagles really want compensation. They want to be able to sell it, sell it to their fan base. My solution has always been a player-for-player player trade because then you can tell the upside of the player you sure. acquire. And I know for a fact that they've discussed player-for-player player trades uh, with other teams. The issue becomes the right player-for-player, player, right? Because if you want player A and the team is only willing to part with player B, you're not going to reach an agreement. It's the same thing with the draft pick. And I think they're at a point where – now you bring up the draft, okay? Here's what the difference is. During the draft, if they traded him, they'd only get $4.9 million back in, in cap space. Now, past June 1, they'll get $8.5 million in cap space. That's a massive sure. chunk of cap space for them. So that's why it, things could be a little different. Here's my thing. If he shows up to training camp, you're risking injury. Yep. Also, if he's a malcontent, you're risking ruining the honeymoon phase that they currently have with this new staff, which is, I was at their last off-season program workout yesterday. I've never seen a practice like this. I mean, highly competitive, highly fun. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's engaged. Uh, you don't want to bring in a sour grape. Yeah. And I think that's going to inevitably be what turns the tide here. Um, 
you know, Howie Roseman can go to his owner and say, look, I've done everything possible to trade this guy for value. Now we just kind of have to take our lumps. Or we're going to risk injury, and we're not going to get a, comp, a very good comp pick. We're not going to have a very good atmosphere here. We need to determine what's best for the team. Mike K here on the Western Hotline. He's the Eagles beat reporter for MJ, NJ.com. Um, Mike, you know... I, I kind of want to turn gears a little bit here and shift gears into talking a little bit more about the Phillies uh, or the Phillies. Huh? Uh, yes. You want to talk about the Phillies? Uh, no, about Philadelphia's upcoming 2021 season, sort of the outlook. I am of the mind that I think the NFC East is going to go from maybe being the worst division in football to maybe being one of the best and deepest this year. Um, I like what the Giants have done. I like what the Washington football team has done. Um, and Dallas is getting Dak back, and maybe year two of that, you know, McCarthy system, maybe there's there's some there's a spark there, and maybe they won't have the worst defense of all time. Um, where does that leave Philly? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It just kind of reminds you of the NFC West before Pete Carroll and Harbaugh uh, got there. You know, I mean, in the early uh, 2010s. Um, look, I think Philly is going to go as far as Jalen Hurts takes them. I mean, this is really a prove-it year, if, if anything, for, for the young quarterback. I think they're very strong up front. You typically win football games by how good your offense and defensive lines are, and they have one of the best two trench groups in the league. With everybody's healthy on the offensive line, which is a big if, like they have the best offensive line maybe in the NFC. Uh, defensive line, they were second in sacks uh, last year, and now they're bringing in a system that creates turnovers and creates, you know, a lot of different confusion pre-snap as my two-year-old runs in here. Sorry. Some confusion uh, pre-snap, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a – well, that was post-snap, I guess. That was, yeah, that's say. right. But, that is post-snap, yeah. But but I this is a team that has brought in a coaching staff that is huge on development. Development is a big deal to this coaching staff. And, look, they're unknowns. Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator, is kind of getting a reputation in the NFL of being like the defensive equivalent of Sean McVay. Everybody's intrigued by what he's going to do. Um, so I think, you know, corner is a massive need for them. But outside of that, you kind of feel good about the front seven. You feel good about the safeties if everybody's healthy. Um Devontae Smith is the real deal. Okay. I'm telling you. That's what I wanted to hear, dude, because, by the way, I've, I literally went all in on him on my dynasty rookie drafts this year. I had three dynasty drafts, and I took him in all three drafts. It's kind of I was in a good position. I was like between 8 and 10 in every draft, uh, and that's sort of where he's been falling. And I'm kind of going all in on him. And it feels like, Mike, too, just to build off your whatever you're going to sort of build up here with Devonta Smith is, I would say him and Hurts together is giving Hurts a fighting chance, no? Yeah, I agree. And I think, look, Jalen Rager had a rough rookie season. He dealt with injuries towards the end of training camp. Uh, the previous staff didn't really put him in position to make plays. I think he he's essentially could be a very good number two wide receiver. This takes pressure off of him. Dallas Goddard being the guy is an unknown, but he's extremely talented. Um, and look, I think this is a 9-8 win team. I think everybody in the division can win at least eight games. Um, and with that extra playoff spot, that seventh spot, it wouldn't shock me if all four teams had a good shot at making the playoffs, like you said. So, um, 
the Eagles are kind of the wild card, and that in the division has typically led to positive results, especially with new coaching staff. Uh, a team hasn't repeated as division winner since the Eagles did it in 2003 and 2004. So it's almost anybody's game. You know, this isn't the AFC East where, yeah. you know, the Patriots dominated forever, and now it seems like it's the Bills' division. So um, it's anybody's ballgame. Mike, uh, thank you so much for hopping on. I'm very excited. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm excited about whatever this the ending of this whole Zachary situation ends up being because I'm just, frankly, I'm I'm sick of like talking about what the the potential of this is or what what the potential move means. Obviously, the the, the conversations got ramped up big time this week with the Bills converting um, a bunch of uh, Stephon Diggs' salary into a signing bonus and opening up almost eight million in cap room. I mean, the number alone just. You're you're connecting dots here. So I I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you is just overall, what would the Bills in your mind right now be getting in Zach Ertz, considering what it would mean for them is kind of notching down a third-year tight end that they, I think they like a lot, um, but I think they're worried and maybe trying to hedge their bet, and maybe that's why you go after Zach Ertz. But like, wh- knowing that it would be at the essentially at, at the risk of hurting someone else's development, do you think it's a, a move worthwhile? Well, I think if you if you want a big slot, I think if you're going to run a lot of, you know, 12 per, I mean if you're going to run a lot of 11 personnel and you want that tight end to essentially be another slot receiver to pair opposite Cole Beasley, you're feeling really good about Zacherts. He's going to be good in the red zone. He's extremely precise with his routes. He's not a guy who's going to win based on athleticism. He's a guy who's going to get open pretty regularly. He can catch the ball and then he's going to get tackled and, and taken down. But I think more importantly with the culture that Sean McDermott has built, he is a Sean McDermott type of guy, mm. and I think he would fall in line. I think he would actually prefer not to be the, the go-to target like he has been. I think he'd like to prolong his career and be successful and be part of a cog in, in the machine as opposed to the guy in a lot of ways. I think he's reached the point in his career where he's shown that he's extremely talented, but being part of a talented offense, Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen and um, Cole Beasley, and basically all of these weapons, like I think it really helps him. He's not going to block for you, but I, the way it appears with this roster, the running game isn't going to be the catalyst for success mm-hmm. anyway. So um, I, I think he's a guy who can be a very good situational player at this point in his career. I think he can give you very quality uh, snaps in a two-minute drill, I think he's a guy who can be a very good leader in the locker room. Awesome, Mike. Thanks so much for the info, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for making some time for me on your Saturday. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll definitely look forward to having you on if uh, if the Bills and, uh, and Eagles cross paths soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks, my friend. Mike K. there on the Wester Hotline. Again, he's the Eagles beat reporter for NJ.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K. It's K-A-Y-E. Got to take a timeout. Get two breaks in on the other side with Matt Perino at noon. Talk a little boxing. Talk a little Bills OTAs. Talk a little Zach Ertz as well. And then Greg Thompson of Cover 1 at 1230. A lot coming up. That's next here on WGR. I love this job because oftentimes, uh, well, not, you know, Corey Griswold being behind the the window now, um, Corey has this sort of sense of humor where, um, you know, I'll bring something up 
that you know I saw in a video like five weeks ago, and I'll just sort of be laughing to myself, and Corey will just be like, you know, want to inquire without asking, but I could see the look on his face, like Nate, tell me, what, what what are you laughing what's, about? What's so that co- I, what's cooking, boss? so, so that doing? I can enjoy this with you. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, we, we this show is it, it's a light show. We're you know we're we're not. You're probably putting the two least serious guys in the entire station on a radio show for three hours. We got Dusty Rhodes. We've yeah. got you know Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, this ain't C-SPAN. The, right. <laughs> this is not C-SPAN. This is not C-SPAN. This is this is not a Ken Burns joint. No, this this is you know this isn't a Chris Wallace show. This no. you know this is this this is us hanging, talking sports, and uh, luckily we'll have my man Matt Perino of New York Upstate coming up next. Uh, we're keeping it light. We're going to talk a little boxing. Going to talk a little Bills OTAs. We'll talk with Greg Thompson to cover one as well. Get his thoughts on uh, the latest Julio Jones quote, which says, "Give me quarterback with big arm." That's his quote. He wants big arm quarterback who can, he can run past DBs. And there's only two guys that come into mind when he says big arm, which is uh, Popeye Bostonian for mm-hmm. big arm. Right. Uh, a Popeye. Popeye is one of those. Mm-hmm. One of the two. He has no biceps though. It's all forearm. That's correct. Which I wonder how that affects the the release of the football. Does he have full like rotation use of the wrist? Because uh, would you think it's maybe more like a like can he flick it and it goes a million miles? But if he winds up, it goes four. I wonder how that works. It, the science behind Pop Mister Popeye doesn't really make sense to me. A WGR investigation. It, it, and it'll hit close to home. All right, that's next. Well, not not the investigation of Popeye, but next we'll have Matt Perino. That's coming up next year on WGR. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color, starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.